today. Somebody shout glory. There we go. I like a noisy church. Amen. You know, we've been talking for some time, going to continue for a little while, talking about the three chairs and becoming a first chair believer. How many of you know that that's what God's called you to be, a first chair believer? And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord alone. He's the, he's the one that's going to be on the throne. And, and that guy in that first chair, you know, that's really what he's done is he's come uh, to a realization that God must have the ability to be God, that we have to serve God. You know, over and over and over lately, it's just been coming up, and, and it's, it's just a word for the house, I, I believe, right now, that, that we would learn to hear God, that we'd learn to obey God, that we'd learn to trust God, but that we'd learn not to be God. You know, a lot of us, we get in all kinds of situations, and we take on all kinds of stuff God didn't call us to. It's not our appointment. We don't have authority there. We don't have, that's not our dominion. You know, the only place you have authority and, and uh, power is in your, in your uh, uh, appointment. You know, the thing that God's called you to be, the thing that he's empowered you. God would never ask you to do something that he didn't equip you to succeed at. And, and so there's a lot of things in life. You know, the, well, just think about it. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. So you're going to observe to do all that's written therein. Then you're going to make your way prosperous, and then you're going to have great success. Well, why am I not having great success? Well, probably because you ain't doing what God called you to do. Now, I'm not talking about a week or two of, of struggle. I'm talking about a lifestyle of getting beat up. Is it possible that you're outside your calling? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts and the plans I have for you. Say the Lord plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. You don't have to chase after prosperity. You have to chase after the plan of God. Because his plan is to prosper you. So, uh, uh, you know, so if you're, if you're in, in the will of God, I said, if you're in the will of God, you're going to find that progress is taking place in your life. You're getting stronger. You're getting sharper. You're getting happier. Come on, somebody. I said, you're getting happier. Bad things still happen, but you know what? You got more life now than death. You got more joy than sorrow, more peace than chaos, more hope than despair, more provision than lack, more health than sickness. It's on the increase. Why? Because that's God's plan for your life. And, and in order to get that, you got to be a first chair guy. You got to be a first chair gal. Look at somebody tell them, I'm moving to the first chair. You know, that third chair, that, that chair of complacency, well, it don't matter. You know, that's a teenager mentality. Think about it for just a minute. You know, uh, what did you learn at school today? Nothing. What did you do? Nothing. What are you going to do after school? Nothing. They're experts in nothing. Well, that, that, well why? Well, because they're, they're yet in a state of immaturity. They haven't really grown in, in certain areas of their life to understand the importance that every little thing makes a difference. Hello? Come on, you, you want to grow big, you've got to be big enough to do the little stuff. And, you know, you've you, you got to be big enough to pray and big enough to worship and big enough to, to you know, to get in the Word. You've got to be big enough. You've got to take on those things. And in that chair of complacency, it always ends up in conflict. They, you know, people who hang out in that chair always end up in conflict. They're in conflict with God, in conflict with their spouse, in conflict with their boss, in conflict with their kids, in conflict with their neighbor, in conflict with the government. Wait a minute, I thought it didn't matter. If pressing into the Word of God doesn't matter, then the next time you get hammered, quit whining to God about it. Well, it don't matter, remember? Well, complacency always leads to conflict. We don't want to live there. I said we don't want to live there. 
So we got to move. And, and, you know, that middle chair, that, that, that chair of compromise, that's duplicity where, uh, you know, well, I'm serving God is on, on, on Sunday. But by Sunday late afternoon, you back on the throne. Come on now, I'm preaching way better than you're amening. Uh, it just depends on the situation, circumstance, who I'm with. And, and, and we live a life of duplicity. We live a life out of the Chester drawers, you know, where the top drawers are. You know, that's our family life. And the second drawer, that's our work life. And the third drawer, that's our church life. And the fourth drawer, that's our night life. And, we, you know, we've got all these different lives. And it's a real mess when everybody shows up on the same day. Because we don't know who we are. And God, God, God doesn't want you to live that way. He wants you to be a whole person, complete, no matter where you are, that you've got victory to overcome. That you get up every single day to demonstrate Satan's defeat. And it doesn't make any difference what location you are. There's no duplicity in your life. You're serving God. You're actually asking God for direction and insight and revelation. You're, you're checking with him on every decision that you're making. Why? Because you long to be led by the Spirit. Amen? So you've got to get in that first chair. And you've got to be a first chair believer. You've got to be, you know, we talked last week about being a first chair Husband. And, and, you know, what are you supposed to do, guys? Love. You know, but, but what's crazy about that is that, uh, you know, we actually have to learn how to love God's way. Because love pulls us, uh, agape pulls us out of the picture. Hello? Said agape pulls us out of the picture. You know, uh, uh, Bible scholars put it this way. Uh, that when we're born, we're born with an Adamic nature. Ever heard that? But the Adamic nature. Anybody heard that? Four of us. Okay, the Adamic nature. Because Adam, and they say Adam was the first sinner. Well, in reality, Satan was the first sinner. So really, it's not just an Adamic nature, it's a Satanic nature. And, and you've got to break out of that. And, and, and you know, and I'm not going to take a whole bunch of time here, but uh, Satan, if you go back and read the book and you find out that, that Satan in his makeup and his, he, he was an archangel over, uh, he had authority in heaven and he ruled over worship. And, and even the way he was built, uh, you know, but he, there was instrumentation. It talks about strength instruments and, and it talks about wind instruments and it talks about, uh, you know, all of these things, timbrels and, and it's all, all about him. And he got in trouble uh, because of what's referred to as merchandising. He merchandise. He was a merchandiser. You know what's what's merchandising? Merchandising is uh, if if uh, I'm going to buy something from Todd, and uh, and I talk to Steve, and uh, because I can't get with Todd, and so I, I I talk to Steve, and I give Steve the money to give to Todd, and Todd tells Steve it's three hundred dollars. Steve tells me it's three hundred bucks. I give Steve three hundred dollars, and Steve gives Todd two hundred bucks. See him? That's the satanic nature. Um, that that uh, that's called merchandising. It is it is taking what belongs to another and keeping it for yourself. Now now hear this. It's important. You would take what belongs to another and you would keep it for yourself. See, that's why it's so hard for us to live agape style. That's why it's so hard for us to love God's way because we're so used to taking what belongs to someone else and keeping it for ourselves. And God's wanting to uh, grow us to the point that we realize that we don't have to keep that because God's love is going to overwhelm us. And, and his love is going to multiply us. And, and it's going to flow through us. And, and we're, we're going we're to be all right. 
we're going to be better than we've ever been before. Amen? And see, uh, really, uh, I, I'm kind of like, uh, you know, just, man, uh, I, myself, Pastor Shelby, the leadership team, you know, uh, what we want for you is to have the strongest marriages, the healthiest homes. You know, we, we want to live Isaiah thirty two eighteen. It says, my people shall dwell in a peaceful habitation, a secure dwelling, a quiet resting place. We want you to experience that. And, and, and not, not for a weekend, for a lifetime. We want it to get better and better and better and better and better. Amen? And uh, uh, so, you know, it was really cool. Last week, a lady ran up to me and stopped me at, at, after one of the services, and, and, uh, and she said, oh, Pastor Tom, Pastor Tom, I'm so excited. She, and, uh, cool, that's awesome. And she said, you, you, let me tell you why. Uh, you, you, know, you know the man that you described today? And I said, mm-hmm. She goes, that's who I live with. And I told Shelby, well, let's go. And it wasn't her. Um, the, the, gal, the gal was so excited because that's my husband. And I said, that's awesome. Next week we're going to talk about wives. And she said, okay, see ya. And uh, she's not here today either. But, um, but uh, you know, today in, in just a minute, I'm not going to talk to you about the wives. I'm going to have Pastor Shelby talk to you about the wives. And you get to hear uh, from Shelby today. But I, I just want to set this up for you that uh, really um, I believe there's two types of people in the world. I believe there's bottom line people. I'm a bottom line guy. I'm always uh, just, I don't know why, I'm just always looking for the bottom line. You start talking to me and I'm just, I'm just trying to figure out what it is you're really trying to say and how long is this going to take. And, and you know, just, I mean, seriously, you're talking, talking, talking. I ain't even listening. I'm just trying to figure out the bottom line. I'm a bottom line guy. And uh, uh, looking for the bottom line, just want to. Put a period there and let's move. Okay, let's go. And, and then, but there's another type of people in, in the earth, and they're called beat around the bushers. Well, think about it. Think about it, Keith. In, in a marriage, there's always there's always one of each. I think that's the way God does this. Is that uh, there's always one of each? Well, think think about it. That if two beat around the bushers were talking about getting married, they'd never get married. They'd beat around the bush. But if, but if two, two bottom liners got together, they can kill each other before the honeymoon's over. It just wouldn't be good. Uh, uh, there's a bottom line to what God wants and what he's designed marriage to be. And that's what we're aiming at. If we're going to be first-chair believers, we've got to cut through the stuff, get to the bottom line. Husbands, love. Just go to work on that. And you're going you're gonna to bring life, health, peace to your marriage. And this morning, Pastor Shelby, give her a hand as she comes. Pastor Shelby's going to come and describe the bottom line for, for the wives. Oh, you want that? If people are going to hear me, I, I better have this. So, yeah. Okay, well, I don't plan on beating around the bush today. Apparently, that's what I do. So, But I don't plan on doing it today. I don't plan on doing it today. And I don't really know that it's beating around the bush. I think it's just like compassion, maybe. So, But anyway, we're going to talk about wives. Yes. Talk about wives today. And uh, if you're not married, it's still for you. Okay? If you're young, maybe someday you will get married. So... Take notes. It'll be an awesome foundation. If you don't ever plan on getting married, that's cool too. Take notes. Who knows? Maybe you have somebody in your life, uh, somebody that you know that might be going through marriage troubles. Help them out.
be a strength to them. Give them some guidelines. Amen? So um, I was in Hawaii a little while ago. And yes, I love, I love God's dream for my life because it has awesome things in store for me. But um, I had a great time. It was awesome time. And Hawaii has really, really beautiful flowers there. And so when I came across this little article about a flower from Hawaii, it really spoke to me because I know I've probably seen it. And it was um, really cool. So there's a flower that grows um, on the lava formations high in the mountains of Maui. And it's uh, slipping into extinction. And um, thought, uh, and it's, the reason it's slipping into extinction is because there is a bird, a particular bird, um, that is slipping into extinction also. And I thought it was kind of odd that this flower was dependent on a bird. Most flowers are dependent on bees or other things that help it. But it's dependent on a bird. And the reason is, is that this bird was created with a specific beak. And this beak is the only thing that um, fits perfectly into this flower to pollinate it. And um, it was the, the beak has a specific job. It was uh, God created that bird uniquely, and the flower uniquely, and they fit together. Nothing else was able to do the job. Um, they tried, men tried repelling down the cliffs with their little scientific doohickeys and thinking that they could, you know, make it work and, and stuff like that, and they were not able to do it. So it's just amazing to me that God created both the bird and the flower to fit perfectly together. And you break God's plan for both of those um, creatures, and they die. So I believe marriage is like that. I believe that when he created man and woman, he did so with a unique purpose for each one of us. Um, Tom talked to the men last week, and so I'm going to talk to you ladies this week. When God created woman, he did so with absolute perfection and with a specific purpose in mind. Everything that the Lord created in, in us, our abilities, our impulses, and our potential, was tailored to accomplish something special in this life. Discard it, and something beautiful dies. In this day and age, God's clear guidelines for marriage sound strange, unworkable, and even offensive. Last week, we heard how the media depicts man. So this week, we're going to tackle what the media says about women. She likes to do lunch and shop. Yes. She's rarely at home with her children, if she even has any. She's emotionally unreliable. She's never at church unless she's old, uneducated, or both. She's a schemer and a gossip. She's only interested in her own personal journey and way much more so than her marriage vows. But she has designer nails, and she's married to that guy with the washboard stomach. No wonder many wives feel tossed about in rusties. Many feel misunderstood, undervalued, and overworked and guilty. More than anything, they suffer from a sense that something beautiful and precious has been lost. I'm pretty sure that where there's a suffering wife, you'll find a suffering husband pretty close by. I know it's the will of God for our marriages to be full of joy. And I also know that God's plans for wives and husbands goes way beyond what merely works to what is beautiful and full of wonder and delight. So what is the marriage, what is the woman's role in marriage? What are our responsibilities towards our husband? That's what I'm going to talk about today. 
The only requirement for a life-changing breakthrough in our relationship with our husband is that we follow God's creation plan. Are you willing to do that? Do you have the courage to reach for God's best? So what is the wife's role? Helper. How easy is that? Helper. I can remember um, in high school, uh, my senior year of high school, my business ed teacher decided um, I was in business class and she asked me um, what I was going to, what I wanted to do with my life. And I said, I just, I just want to get married. I want to have kids and I want to be the best wife I can be. And she said, oh, Shelby, you got to do something more than that. Don't go take accounting, be an accountant, go do something, go to college, graduate. And I thought, okay, I can try it. And so I went to college and I lasted one year. Was it one year? That's it. Just one year. And I thought, ah, this is not for me. And I just look back now and I am so thankful that God put that helper spirit within me because if anybody knows me, that's what I like to do. I'll drop anything and everything to go help you, whatever your need is. Sometimes people think that's a fault because I help my kids way too much, they say. I don't know who that would be that says that, but my kids, my kids love me because I help them. <laughs> Genesis 2:18 says, Now the Lord God said, It is not good, sufficient, satisfactory, that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper meet, suitable, adapted, complementary for him. Help meet. Helper meet. Help meet. What does that mean? That is help that is meet for him. It is proper, suitable, and fit for him. The only proper and suitable fit for a man is a woman. That's all there is to it. It says it right there. The only fit, proper, and suitable for a man is a woman. Verse 22. And the rib or part of his side which the Lord God had taken from the man, he built up and made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. If you notice there, rib is singular. That means that the man only needs one helper, one wife, one helper. And there's no other ribs laying around. So he doesn't need any other helpers off on the side anywhere. He just needs one, one helper. The main role of the husband is to lead in love. The biblical term that describes the wife's role in the word helper. This major distinction is revealed and supported throughout the rest of the Bible. The man's role from day one of the marriage covenant was that he used to be the head. The woman's role from day one was to be his helper. Clarity about this is the foundation of a first chair marriage. God didn't say he was going to make Adam a housekeeper, a trophy, a sexual plaything, or a mother for his children. God revealed he had in mind a perfect complement. Wives, we are perfect complements for our husband. Perfect complements who are sovereignly designed, equally loved, perfectly suited for the man's needs, mercifully provided for the man's loneliness, and equally gifted to make beautiful life together with him. Who's luckier? Have you ever thought about that? Who's luckier, the one receiving the help or the one who's giving the help? 
Have you ever thought that being a helper might not be very exciting, maybe even demeaning? Well, let lo- let's look at who is described the most as the helper in the Bible. It's God. Hebrews 13:6. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? John 16:7. However, I'm telling you nothing but the truth when I say it is profitable, good for you that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the comforter, the helper, will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him, the helper, to you. The Lord is the great helper of the Bible. Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit is helper. Helping is an immensely powerful and meaningful divine task. A helper is someone who comes alongside to meet the needs of another. We, as helpers, supply what is lacking. We nurture, we protect, and lend support where the other is weak or faltering. When the husband has a need, the helper's role is to bring all of the resources possible to fulfill that need quickly and fully. We are fulfilling an important role that God himself fills. Perhaps that's why Jesus taught that the greatest among us is the person that serves the most. When a wife truly sets her mind on helping her husband so that the Lord would nod his head in approval. How many of you want God's approval on your life? Amen. So that when, when we set our mind on helping our husbands, we move into the realm for which we have been sovereignly created for by God. In this realm, we are powerful, irreplaceable, and blessed. Let's look at Proverbs 31:12. She does her husband good and not harm all the days of her life. She is in a perfect position to make all kinds of breakthroughs in her relationship with her husband, and she makes the miracle of marriage happen. The Bible's most complete portrait of a wife at work in her role is found in Proverbs 31. Uh, Verse 14 says she's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Verse 16, she considers the field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, with her profits, she plants a vineyard. Verse 18, she perceives that her merchandise is profitable, it is good. Verse 20, she opens, she extends her hands to the poor, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 22, she makes tapestry for herself, her clothing is fine linen and purple. Verse 24, she makes linen garments and sells them, she delivers sashes to the merchant. And verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. The Bible does not teach against the working wife. It's, it's the opposite of that, but... It has clear conditions that must be met. The husband must be her first priority. Her children must be her next priority, and she must be the primary worker in her home. Her every other venture should launch from her position of power and record record of accomplishment at home. Make sure your husband, you, and your family are not losing out on all the possibilities that God has in mind for you. Go, fulfill your dream for your life by helping your husband with all the competence, 
capacity, creativity, and compassion that God has given you. God's already put everything in us that we need to do this. Already. It's within us. We just have to find it. As we do, every, as we do this, every dream that he has placed deep inside your heart will come into fruition. As we seek what is true, God will answer and guide us, and we will win the incredible honor and acclaim that the Bible reserves only for a godly wife, and that's found in Proverbs 31:28. It says, Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Amen? So last week we learned that the husband's responsibility that grew naturally from his role as head was to love. So if helping is our role as wife, what is our responsibility? Submission. Ooh, that dirty, nasty word. It's not, though. God wired every woman to desire a husband who would be her leader while loving her more than anything or anyone else. God wired every man to desire a wife who would honor, respect, and follow him more than anything or anyone else. The biblical word for this gift of following and supporting in love is submission. The word may sound weak, old-fashioned, or even offensive. But for your husband, a wife who chooses submission is his gold-plated invitation to success. After all, without someone who's willing to follow, how will his God-given role to lead work? The Bible teaches that this principle of submission as our major attitude and responsibility towards our husbands holds the secret of our success, fulfillment, and incredible influence in a godly marriage. I firmly believe that the loving will to follow Tom that Tom sees in me is the high-octane fuel that powers him to get out and lead. Ask your husbands if this is not true. I dare you. As sure as I am about that, I also know that nothing will frustrate him, demoralize, or even anger him more quickly and deeply than rebellion or disrespect. When that attack comes from us, they feel betrayed. They can get attacked by anybody else, their kids, friends, anything, and they won't feel betrayed. But wives, when you do that, they feel betrayed. Let's look at what the Bible says. Colossians 3:18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Ephesians 5, 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then Ephesians 5, 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And 1 Peter 3.1, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of, our, of their wives. Submission is clearly God's best for wives. If we are serious about spiritual breakthrough to a chair one marriage, submission is our privilege and opportunity. 
God didn't cruelly set out to create a woman's role in marriage to tip the scales to our husband's advantage, to defraud us of a meaningful life or keep us from reaching our potential. God's truths are for our best, whether we're female or male, husband or wife. There's a few misconceptions about what it means to submit. I'm going to touch on just a few of them. Uh, Misconception number one, a husband's job is to make his wife submit. No way. The Bible teaches that the wife voluntarily chooses to obey the Lord and bring herself as a submitted wife to her husband. It's a choice. Ladies, we have a choice to make. Submit or not to submit. First chair wives, as first chair wives, we need to make the right choice to submit to our husbands. Misconception number two. If a wife is to submit to her husband as unto the Lord, then she must act like and treat her husband as if he is the Lord himself. As a Christian wife, we already love and serve one king. And the one in the kitchen ain't him. As first chair wives, we choose to submit and recognize to whom we are really submitting to. The requirement of submission originated with God, not our husbands. Misconception number three. If a wife submits to a husband in everything, then she must follow him into sin or danger. Submission is not just what we do. It's an attitude of wanting with all our heart and will to honor our husbands. We, in honor, decline to do the wrong act because of our higher allegiance to God. Misconception number four. A wife is supposed to submit to her husband, but he is also supposed to submit to her. In Ephesians, there's about five chapters there that Paul is teaching concerning um, believers in the church. These scriptures are not dealing with the marriage relationship. Submitting to one another then is addressed to individual believers in the context of the local church, not, not to spouses in the context of a marriage. Then Paul switches uh, from general instructions to f- specific ones. In Ephesians 5.22, it's wives submit. Ephesians 5.25, husbands love. Ephesians 6.1, children obey and honor. Ephesians 6.4, fathers do not exasperate. Ephesians 6.5, slaves serve wholeheartedly. Ephesians 6, 9, masters do not threaten. Context makes all the difference. It's how we see things. Misconception number five, if I submit to my husband, then I won't be able to voice my opinion or feel confident that my feelings or ideas matter. Submission is the highest form of honoring. When I submit to church leadership, I am actually honoring them. Honor opens doors and attracts the blessings of God. It is a wrong belief system, even a lie, that if I honor my husband, it will cause him to lose value of my opinion. Submission increases my value in every realm. Show me someone who's submissive, and I'll show you someone with influence. Ladies, I hope that you are willing to take a good look at yourself and find something that can be changed within you to make your marriage better. 
Amen. We may have great marriages. I have an awesome marriage, but I also know that I can be better. I can be a better person. Have the courage to reach for God's best. Amen. Amen. So bottom line, bottom line, men, love. Ladies, help. You know, uh, sin is just missing the mark. Right? Watering off the trail, missing the mark. Uh, all sin basically originates from uh, one of, has one or two uh, basic uh, origins. Uh, one of them is to try to comfort oneself, to please oneself, to uh, do things that elevate oneself. And the other is to look for something that would medicate our pain, you know, bring healing, you know, whether it be a, a you know, a, a friend, a bottle, uh, you know, that we go to something uh, to medicate our pain. But, but the Bible says that uh, God sent the Holy Spirit as our comforter. So when you go anywhere uh, for comfort first, uh, you're missing the mark. You're in sin. Uh, you know, anytime you're trying to, to heal a wound in your life, the Bible says that he sent his word to heal them. So if you're not going to the word to find healing and restoration for your life, uh, then you're missing the mark. You're in sin. Uh, husbands, let, let me just say this to you. When you pray, help me, Jesus, don't be surprised if your wife wakes up. If you're going anywhere else first for help, you're missing the mark. You know, it's one thing to, to look at the wife and say, okay, your role is to help. And it's another thing if she's never granted that opportunity. Very difficult to follow somebody who doesn't know where he's going. Hard to follow somebody who ain't going nowhere. And hard to help somebody who won't let you help. So, man, I just challenge you. Let your wife flow in her role. She's your helper. Amen. Ladies, let your husband grow in agape love. And don't, don't be taking the light and shining it on each other's weaknesses, but be the one that's standing there in the corner, you know, uh, rooting, them, rooting them on. Come on, you're doing awesome. You know, when, when, when your wife does something that's helpful, tell her. When your husband does something that's Love motivated, tell him. And show each other that you recognize it. And let's get to having the strongest marriages we can. Amen? Amen. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm growing.